You're listening to the Modern People Leader Podcast. Today's episode will be a part of our People Leader Series, where we go behind the scenes with today's top HR leaders and talk to them about how they've gotten to where they're at and what they really do every day. Our guest today is Dina Upton, Chief People Officer at Drift. We're excited about today's conversation. We have Dina Upton from Drift with us. I'm really excited about what we're going to dig into today. And I'm looking forward to getting your perspective on a number of things. But before we we get into the conversation, we like to start things with an icebreaker. And so today, my icebreaker for you, Dina, is what's the biggest Zoom fail that you have seen, you've been a part of in the past year since being remote? Oh, you gave me a past year thing. I thought I could go back a couple of years ago, but I got to do something this year. No, you, you can go back. I go back. Years. You want me to go back? Okay, so I'm going to take you guys back, back old school days. Um, <laughs> old school days from my life at Log Me In. Um, join me. I don't know if you guys ever used Join Me, mm-hmm. but I think it was my first week on the job. And I decided that I would jump right into this all hands meeting with our Budapest team about how to write reviews and, and document reviews. And I hadn't fully, and, and at the time, it wasn't difficult to use Join Me. It was quite easy to use, but there were certain things that you needed to like shut off, like annotate. You actually don't want your whole audience annotating your PowerPoint when you're actually going through it. <laughs> so the whole Budapest engineering team was like writing all over my PowerPoint slide. It was horrible. And I remember Mike Simon coming in to talk to me after the meeting and he was like, pulled up his chair. He was the CEO of LogMeIn at the time and said, okay, next time you do an all hands call on join me, let's make sure you understand how to use the product. Wow. So, so people anyway. were just going into your presentation and, and annotating? Well, at, the, both at that time, it was like, it was, this was old school software, but you, yeah. you had to like click I had to click um, uh, permissions, like sure. unclick permissions, and I didn't fully do that. And so, anyways, it was a debacle. Wow, I have I have a pretty crazy story. So, I didn't witness this personally, but one of my good friends, he one of the the past companies that he was working for, they had an all hands meeting, and it just so happened that that day they they were announcing layoffs. And he was working from home that day. So he he dialed into the meeting and they announced the layoffs and he didn't realize that his mic wasn't on mute. And okay. he, said, he said something to the effect of, oh, wow, we're screwed. And all like 300, 400 people from his company heard him. Heard him. Yeah. Oh my goodness. And he was mortified. Luckily, nobody knew it was him or he did, he doesn't think that anybody knew it was him but i i thought that was like the craziest you know zoom fail or something that's happened on a mm-hmm. on a big like all hands meeting that's a pretty good one outside of you know some of the the mild stories you hear my biggest one is i have a daily zoom fail and that is unmuting <laughs> myself and it's like i my girlfriend works in hr for a high tech company and they they sent out coffee mugs with kind of the the statement or phrase for the year and it was like you're on mute because <laughs> i am always in that so 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 much the case with me well i i know that you have been a life 
lifelong HR practitioner, and we're going to dive into some of your experience and some of the things that, that I, I know you're passionate about. But we love to just hear in your words, what do you love most about working in HR, your job? You know, why have you chosen this as your career? Yeah, I think for me, I have, I have serious FOMO. <laughs> and, tell me more. Um, yeah, tell me more. You're missing out. And I think being in the people world, you are sort of at the center of a lot of, a lot of decisions. I have knowledge over business direction as well as people direction. And, and I love that. So mm. it, it appeases my FOMO. Um, yeah, that's yeah. a good one. We get a unique perspective on what's going on. That's for sure. And right. so if you could give us a 30 second, like, quick overview on the journey of your career, where you started, how you got into where you are at today, and a little bit about your job. Yeah, sure. So I started um, I started at Accenture actually as I programmed in C++. So right out of school, I, I took a, I, I, I went in, I went the, down the consulting route at Accenture and was staffed on a project for about three years working on a big systems implementation at a bank in Charlotte, actually. And I always had interest in the people function, but the partner that closed me in my interview said, why don't you really understand what our business is and what we do before you actually move into an internal role, which was the best piece of advice. But three years later, successful uh, role there, I switched into the people function and working in the people function at a professional services organization is really staffing and resource management. While it's, it was fun, I really wanted to get hardcore HR experiences. So I left with one of the partners at Accenture. I was in San Francisco at the time and went to a startup out in the Bay Area where I, I I got my feet wet in hardcore recruiting and HR business partnering and benefits rollout and all that stuff. And then moved back to the East Coast, moved back to Boston, um, HR job for a fintech company. And I've always kind of been in these small companies that have been growing or acquired, et cetera, and um, uh, stayed within the fintech industry for a while and then moved over into to log me in and then now at Drift. But what I have migrated toward is those hyper growth companies that are that I when I joined there are around 100 people, there is an appreciation and sort of a framework for people in place. But then the acceleration of that is is sort of my sweet right. spot. So um, scaling phase. Yeah, I love it. Scaling, interna <laughs> scaling internationally is really where I love to play. So and so how many employees did Drift have when you joined the organization? When I joined, we were about 20 million in revenue and about 160 people. We're now okay. about 440. And then we will, wow. we, will add, we will add about 200 people this year. That's two amazing. Half, well, two, two and a half, yes. Okay. And so we're, we're huge fans of Drift. And I'm a big fanboy of your CEO, David Cancel. But I'm not sure our audience will be super familiar with your business. So can you just give a quick overview of what y'all do? Yeah. So we, um, you know, we change the way businesses buy from businesses through conversational marketing. So think about it as we are, you know, we're an acceleration platform. So businesses will come to us to sort of digitally transform their website and how they can directly connect with customers. It's like, like you go into a store to buy shoes, a, a sales rep helps you buy those particular shoes, but yet you go online and you fill out a form to buy those shoes. We actually are helping businesses really understand who their customers are, how they're hitting their website, how are, what kind of conversations are happening, how are our customers, customers engaging with the content that they have 
digitally out in the world and how can we accelerate the purchase of whatever it is that they're trying to sell. And we do that through chatbots, AI. It's a conversational marketing and conversational sales platform. That's what we do. Yeah, I feel, I, like, I feel like a lot of people have probably uh, been exposed to a Drift chatbot, just have no idea that they were seeing a Drift chatbot. So, so people, next time you, you see a chatbot bot pop up on a website, it might be Drift. Yep. So I'm a huge listener of Seeking Wisdom, which for everyone listening, it's a, it's a podcast that's hosted by the Drift CEO, David Cancel. And every episode is completely different from storytelling to psychology to how to scale a company up to $100 million in ARR. There's just like some really interesting episodes and, and I'm hooked. And about a month ago, David had Dina join him on the podcast to talk about their recent decision to go digital first. And as soon as I saw the, the episode description, DC sits down with Dina Upton to discuss this decision I was sold. I, I think I might've listened to the episode maybe twice. I uh, posted about it on LinkedIn and then I reached out to Dina and I was like, Hey, we, we would love you to come on to our podcast and, and talk about this. I think that, I think that you and David did a really great job of articulating some of the downsides of, of picking a hybrid workforce versus fully remote or, or digital first and made a really compelling argument for digital first. So I guess my, my first question for you is, can you, can you define digital first for, for our audience? Sure. What that means for Drift? Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, there, there's, um, there are four paths you can go down. Um, you can remain an in-office company, which is what we were before the pandemic hit. We were very much intentionally in office. So anytime we recruited people, we were very transparent about it. But we said, you're going to need to be in the office five days a week. We have... Monday metrics and Friday show and tell, which are two town halls, they're in person, they set the stage for how we connect with each other over the course of the week. Um, Standups happen all over the place where we're running videos, we're interviewing customers, like a lot happen in the office. So you one path is go back to that where you're in the office. The other path is kind of 100% remote, think Envision, think other companies that are, there is no office for them to go to. They're just working completely remotely out of their homes, no real estate footprint at all. The third option is hybrid. So going back to the way that you were before with the in-office, but a lot, a little bit of flexibility, right? And then the fourth is what we're doing, which is called digital first. And a lot of people ask, well, what's the difference between hybrid and digital first? I don't understand. The big thing, what DC and I were talking about on the podcast is this idea of equity. And one of the things that DC and Elias have really been spearheading with the establishment of Drift and what we're trying to do is not only ensure that we have a diverse group of people, but we're creating an equitable foundation for people to grow their careers. And I think that's the important distinction between hybrid and digital first. And a lot of it is a mindset shift, right? So your leaders, anyone that's a people manager, they have to make sure that meetings that they run, recognition that they have, mobility that, that is being offered to teammates are done whether or not that person sits next to them in the office or sits next to them in their, in, in their town or somebody that's halfway across the country in San Francisco or even across the world in Australia. They all have equal access to that leader. And I think it breaks down when you start talking about a hybrid model or 
allowing us to tell the teams, well, let's go back to the way we've, we were before, but with some kind of flexibility and it lends itself to a bit of chaos. And I think the beauty in what we're trying to do is set some foundation into what, what's the philosophy around why we've chosen to be digital first um, and ensuring that we've got tools in place to onboard our people digitally effectively and we're able to manage digitally effectively and so you have to you pick an edge and then anyone that comes to drift realizes that i've got to get better at my digital footprint internally across the organization as well as externally so that's the difference and i think that nuance is important because it's a mindset shift and i think if you dip one foot in one camp and the other which is where people are going with this hybrid model you will not win. Yeah, yeah. Or so. for talent, and you will not, you'll not fully embrace. I, I've worked at organizations where it was hybrid. A lot of us did. It was sort yeah. of the flexibility and let's get everybody together. But it breaks down, and people we, will do. People will do what you do and not do what you say. So if you say we're in a hybrid model, I want to give you a ton of flexibility. But me, people manager, I'm in the office five days a week. Well the pressure is going to mount, your your direct reports are gonna feel like they have to be in the office and it breaks down. I can't, I can't begin to tell you how many engagement data sets that we've seen for, for clients that where this is talked about, like in the old way where it's like us versus them, HQ versus everyone else. And that's what is so brilliant about what I think you guys are doing. I think you're right. Even before all of this happened, there was that dynamic of if you're not in HQ, you're not getting, you know, the chef that's doing your daily meals and all the bells and whistles and everyone else feels like we're getting a lesser than experience. And that's been, I believe it's been exacerbated by what's going on in the world post pandemic. Well, and I think what's working now so well is it's hard and I don't want to, 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 to diminish how isolating it can be for people to be at home. But the reason why I think it's working right now is because everybody is on the same playing field and yes. we're all at home and we all have dogs running around in the background and somebody that we need to go pick up or something like the empathy is naturally there because we're all on the same playing field. It, it will it will start to deteriorate when you have people, some people going in and some people staying at home. And I think you can, what we're trying to do with the setup of conversation spaces in those areas where we had an office footprint before is being intentional around how we're setting up those spaces and what we're using them for and why we're using them. And so when people go into the office, they're meeting with customers, they're meeting with team members, they're is the ability to do solo work if you've you're in between meetings or you've got there's logistics where you, they're gonna we're gonna in other words we're gonna have desks in those office but offices but people won't have their own desk they won't be going into the office all the time again going back to that mindset shift i i love how you keep referring to it as a mindset shift so i actually worked for steven for for five years in the last year of working for Steven, I was working remote half the time. So half the time I was in Dallas with my girlfriend, the other half the time I was in Austin. And the weeks that I was in Dallas, you know, we would have, we would have a weekly meeting every Friday. And it was always a very awkward experience for everyone with me being the one person that was working remotely, calling into the meeting and the way that it would work is they had like these big speakers in this big conference room. And so your face like, would be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, him. I, yeah. It would just be my face up there. And 
sometimes I'd have to present at these meetings and it was such a strange experience because I never knew how to read the room. I never knew the, the reactions that, that people were having. So when you say it's a mindset shift, it just makes me think of all the micro actions that Drift is probably going to change to provide a remarkable experience for everyone, regardless, regardless of, of where they are. Exactly, exactly. So you mentioned you had to pick an edge to create a remarkable experience. So I'm, I'm just curious, what are, what are some of the things that, that you're thinking about as more people get vaccines, more people have the option to go into these spaces to have conversations? How are you thinking about creating a remarkable digital first experience? Yeah, I think one of the things that the, the naysayers on this will say is how can you create culture in a remote work environment? Like you can't read a room, you can't see people, those connections are not there. Well, how do we create connections with our customers when sometimes we've never met them? So I, I my argument is you have to define culture in a different way. And for us, over the course of the past couple of months, we've really doubled down on some of those things that were really important that got us to where we are right now. And I think of culture, like five aspects of culture. So our leadership principles are one, they're really important guideposts for how we make decisions. We use them in our hiring process. We use them in how we promote. We use them in what we tolerate and what we celebrate. And so they they live and breathe throughout the organization. That's one aspect that's really important to our culture. And we've doubled down on that, especially because we're remote. And when you're hiring people in a remote world, you need to make sure that you're hiring against those values slash leadership principles that we find and hold dear. I think the other thing is this idea of, of, of you know, high performance, meaning, you know, Netflix said it best when every time we hire somebody, we're trying to increase the talent density of the team that we have in place. And you have to be pretty rigorous with the types of people that you bring into your organization. Every hire that you make, you want to be leveling up the expertise or the rigor of that particular team. And if you say yes, that that person is going to level up the team, well, you, then you've just raised the water level of the talent that you have in that organization. So we have to be maniacally focused on ensuring that individuals that we bring in the organ organization are high performers. I think the other thing is this idea of hiring adults and autonomy. Again, it goes back to scorecards and job descriptions and all those things that we put in place to make sure we're hiring the right people. We want to also make sure that we're hiring people that are able to work in a remote environment that are naturally able to manage their time and manage what they're working on. And I think that's important. I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that again in a second when I talk about some specific positions where we're actually hiring in location, but I'll, I'll come back to that in a minute. I think the other thing that's really important to us and really defining of our culture, there's two other things. Well, one, we talked about early, we talked about equity before, you know, ensuring that we're creating an equitable environment for everyone, regardless of where they live. I think we talked a bit about that. That's important. And then this idea of rituals. So we have a handful of drift rituals that have been really important to us. They were incredibly lively when we were in the office. And then we've been able to, to, to duplicate that energy as we brought them remotely. So we kickstart our week with what we call Monday metrics. And then we end the week with Friday show and tell. Those are both two town halls where everybody in the organization comes together. Monday metrics is a quick 20 minute stand up. It's led by our VP of ops. We have a leader in each department kind of talking about the high level metrics of what's going on in their area. So our head of sales talks about deals that are in play 
customer success, like what 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 is our net and gross retention that week? What customers do we have coming up for renewal? Our product lead talks about ships that are happening and product features, et cetera. We know by, by hearing from somebody in marketing, what campaigns we're launching, do we have, is there another rev growth happening? So there isn't an excuse for anyone across the organization to have a high level knowledge of what's happening. And then Friday show and tell, which happens tomorrow is, it's 45 minutes run emceed by one of our product leads, Matt Bellotti. He's um, been here for a while. He runs a, a podcast called Growth. But um, he, there's one person from each department. They get up. They talk about a problem that they've conquered that week. What was the solution? Is there a CTA for the team? We vote on it. The, the Zoom chat goes crazy. So it's that same. We're trying to create that same kind of energy. <laughs> we also have like what we call open mic for EL, our executive team, which is like any question can be asked. We do it every week. Anonymous questions come in through a, a tool that we have internally here called Lattice. And then we answer those questions and we, we leave the microphone open for others. So again, kind of fostering that idea of transparency and that no question is, is not welcome. So it's, yeah, it sounds like y'all put a lot of thought into it. So just to take a, t a step back, y'all made this decision fairly early compared to a lot of other companies. I'm just curious, you know, how long did this decision take to make as a leadership team and how involved were your employees in making the decision? Was there like a survey that went out? Yeah, 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 yeah. I can give you the, I can give you the behind the scenes. So in October, so when we sent people, well, the ironic thing is we sent people home like just about a year ago today. It was actually on March 10th last year when we sent a message out saying, don't come back to the office. <laughs> I can't believe it's been a year. I, I know. It's just, that's I insane. I know. And we thought it was going to be three months. Like, so we had, we had put roadmap in place and plans in place for how we we're going to bring the teams together, what we were going to, what were the, the phased in approaches, how we, our team was going to migrate. And then we kept moving the goalposts. Okay, let's revisit this. It was March. Let's revisit it in June. Let's revisit it in September. And then October came and we surveyed the employee base. And the interesting thing that came back from that survey is it was kind of split a third, a third, a third. And we, we asked if given the opportunity to come back to the office, would you come back to the office? Would you want to be 100% remote? Would you want some, we called it at the time, hybrid um, flexibility schedule? And it was split down the middle. So we had, now we didn't pool individuals that were remote because we did have some remote salespeople. Like if you ask them that question, they're already remote. It's kind of a silly question. Yeah. But anyone that was associated with a drift office, we asked, we surveyed that, we surveyed them and we're surprised that the feedback was so split. Um, it, no, it, it's so interesting. I think we've heard the same thing from a handful of people. Everyone had this 30, 30, 30 split. And then there's 10% of people that just like, whatever, whatever we decide, I'm cool with. It, it's just so interesting that that split is so consistent. Well, and I think that led to the edge picking that you were asking me about earlier. I, I think that our team didn't, because we were so intentional about being in the office, they couldn't visualize what it meant. Like, what do you mean by a hybrid or some sort of blended approach? What does that mean? And so I think in conversations with David and Elias and our executive team, we wanted to we wanted to help set the stage for our team and the other reason to answer your question about why we wanted to come out with a decision is we had several people wanting to potentially move 
maybe move to New Hampshire or move to Texas from San Francisco. And they, they were stuck. They were waiting for permission from us to say that was allowed because all that they knew before was I needed to be within the vicinity of the office. And so it goes back to the equitable comment, which I think yeah. has been really important is we've got these incredible high achievers because we've been pretty rigorous with the way that we bring talent into the organization and they don't want to let us down. And so, you know, for them to come forward and say, I want to move to a different location. Am I going to sabotage my career if I'm moving out of headquarters? And so that was the biggest driver. Like we've got to take care of our team and we want to give them some kind of a roadmap for what this potentially could look like. That was the decision. So, so fascinating. So you, your business is somewhat on hold as you know, everyone's was right. You're, we're trying to figure out what is going to come out of, you know, this world that's been turned upside down, your employees, you, you do a survey, you get data, right? The data is, you know, gives you some insight, gives you some insight, but it sounds, it raises probably more questions than you had before. It's inconclusive. Then you look at the situation from a different lens and your people, your employees' lives were on hold and they're looking and they're looking at you to make a decision. And it's, it's fascinating to me because that must've been such a a huge leap, right? And you talked to, you talk about it a little in your 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 podcast with David. But I can you tell us a little bit about the days leading up to making that decision? Because David made it seem so easy on the call on on the podcast. Where I mean, you talked about the it one earlier. way door. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah the one way, way door. door. Yeah, but but it's like I know you had some executives who were like, "Wait a second, is it really a one way door?" Well, like I think. Could. Well, I think, and so I, yeah, I think the, the big thing was when we were, you know, seek feedback, not consensus organization. So we like to share, especially with our leadership team, uh, where we're thinking. And I think the biggest thing when we tested this out with our VP layer, the pushback was on those entry level positions. So our SDRs, mm-hmm. our customer advocates, how are they going to learn in a remote world? That led to the for some of our entry level positions, let's be pretty deliberate that we want we want those positions to be within the vicinity of an office so that they can learn from each other. And we're doing that to make sure that they're as we we're setting the foundation in the right way for some of those entry level positions. So that that softened our message a little bit just around the L&D component for people where this might be their first or their second job. I think that mm-hmm. the more experience you have, the more apt you are to be able to successfully work in a remote world. But when learning is a big component of your Mm -hmm. job, there is that face-to-face time that's really important. So we wanted to make sure that that was modified a little bit after that initial launch. Um, Got it. it. And so then you, then you pick an edge and I've got to imagine everyone digital first. I've got to imagine people were relieved, like, okay, you know, some, you know, there, at least there's clarity and like, I can, I can plan my move. Like I can, I can start to, you know, I'm starting to understand how this will impact my career. Um, But go ahead. I was going to say, just to give y'all a uh, perspective of a mid twenties guy, you don't (laughs) know how many friends I have whose lives are on hold right now. And they're trying to figure out, can I move cities? Should I be looking for a new job if I can't move cities? So I think it's so awesome that y'all just picked an edge, made a decision and communicated it out to your people. Yeah. Well, then then what ha- what's happening now is people are really they're like, OK, what's 
what's in it for me? Like, well, how does this affect me and my role? Can I, you know, now, now we start to get into the, to the nitty gritty tactical things of relocation and moving and what does that mean? And can I, and how, what is the process for looking to that? We've also made sure that individuals are set up with their home office by offering like an initial stipend to get your home office set up. And then we do a monthly stipend to um, ensure people can, you know, if they want to use it on a Peloton membership or um, pay their cell phone bill or whatever it is, we do have a platform that will allow them to pick a whole bunch of things. Pet insurance covers it. We didn't want to get in the business of defining. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of things. I we didn't that. want to get into the business of defining what that hundred, we do a hundred dollars a month, but what that could be used for um, because we don't know the priorities of individuals, but it's to, it's to, it's to help enable you to be more efficient and effective when you're at home. Well, and, and when we talk about, you know, I, and I'm going to come back to a question because I was going down a path, but when we talk about the war on war for talent, the fact that you guys have already figured out these details that you're offering like max flexibility and it's clear like that pitch has to be really compelling for your talent acquisition folks when they're talking to candidates because you've already figured out those details so you can speak to it with confidence like right. this is the way it works and right. you can give them real answers to these tough questions that you know for at least people earlier in their career or, or even people like at my stage, like, you know, I've got a family, like having some assurances around these things is, uh, is a huge relief. And I have to believe it's a comparative advantage for you guys. Well, and I think so. the other thing that's really important too, is you have a lot of high achievers at Drift that are wanting mm. to figure out how they can advance. And if you tell them it doesn't matter where you are, it's all, it's about outcomes. It's about impact. If you've got to be able to make that impact and connect with people in a remote way, that's going to lead to your success. It's not about FaceTime or desk time. Um, right. That's they un, they now understand what 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 is the goalpost and how am I going to be measured? There's a common understanding, yeah, and that it's it's powerful. And so just to take a, a couple of steps back, so so you choose an edge, and now obviously it's cascading all the way through the organization. You're making changes. I, I want to talk a little. You mentioned earlier that originally you had an strong in-office culture and that that contributed to explosive growth. And yeah. you shared a little bit about how that's changed. Um, you also mentioned that you went through a process of redefining your culture. And, you know, I, I can we talk about that a little bit, you know, a little sure. behind the scenes, look into it. There are companies that can take a full year trying to redefine their culture and still fail at doing it. You know, it's just words on, 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 posters. And so two months, I think is what you said, if I heard you right, is kind of the process that you went through to kind of really like analyze your culture. Tell us like what you went through, how that worked. I'm just curious, you know, in, in, in the timeframes around that, you know, that that's pretty amazing. Well, I think a couple of things, I, we didn't go through a full redefinition of it. A lot of it was a recommitment to the things that mm. were important to us before. It's sort of like re-recruiting the team and ensuring that that they understood what what they signed up for when they first came into the organization. So um, DC is, on, is in, in, in the executive team, Elias, Todd Barnett, Jim Kelleher, Trisha Gellman, others, we are putting the finishing touches on a culture deck. Um, so you know, similar to what DC did when he was at HubSpot, um, the HubSpot deck that went around all over the place, we used Netflix. Um, Freedom and responsibility deck is kind of a model, um, but really defining what is it, what like what types of people are going to be successful at Drift, um, what 
individuals will thrive in the organization and kind of a definition of what that what that looks like we're in the process of putting the finishing touches on that so that's what i was talking about but Got it. it's embedded in a lot of like our drift leadership principles and those have been around since drift was you know 50 people um and so i think the importance of setting a foundation for either you call them leadership principles call them values whatever you want to mm -hmm. call them there those are guideposts for how you make decisions and how you recruit people and how you promote them etc i think though that's been the foundation of our culture but we've 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 blown them out a little bit to right. to story tell a little bit a little bit more and that 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 david will release a cult, a new culture deck well we didn't actually have one before so he will release a cult we will release a culture deck hopefully so it's in not the next couple months but the team at drift has seen iterations of it um we sent it out about a month ago to get feedback and, and people have been we wanted to know what resonated with them did they feel that it was authentic does it represent how they experienced drift in their work um, what would they change? So we've, we've got, we've gotten feedback from the team. Um, wow. and so like all levels of the organization. Yep. Amazing. Amazing. And as that feedback is coming in, is that going all the way? Is that coming to you, to David, to other executives? Like how is that being processed? Yeah, it's being captured. It's being captured through our head of PR and our chief of staff. Um, but we actually, at our executive team meeting this past Monday, we walked through the feedback. Um, we've also, you know, we've gotten some feedback in exit interviews. We've gotten some feedback um, just through our leadership level in, 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 in all hands meetings that they might have specifically. So the meeting, our executive meeting on Monday was kind of to walk through the feedback that we've gotten through different channels. But we've been fostering that feedback culture for a long time. So people are not, don't shy away. If DC sends out a, a video and a PowerPoint deck and asks for feedback, we, he gets a lot of it directly from all levels of the organization. So, but that, 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 that feedback culture has been kind of cultivated and built through, um, well, through, through the five years, six years. Yeah, no. And it's so important. I'm a big believer that the future of employee listening is through multiple feedback channels. And, yep. and some of which are on a cadence, right? Some of which are real time, some of which are attributed, some of which are not. But the important part of it is having the multiple channels that will, right. again, it goes back to an equitable work environment, an inclusive work environment, like, you know, you have to accommodate all the different types of people and all the forms of, of giving feedback. And I love how you guys are using that. Um, as far as, so, so, so David burnt the ships, so to speak, there was no, there was no sailing back to the old way or, you know, and the team, you know, I know I'm right. oversimplifying here. Did you no, guys see, sure. did you see any pockets of resistance? Um, I think what I have found, and it's interesting because tomorrow at Show and Tell, I'll kind of re-talk about this a little bit. I think we might have over or underestimated the importance of, of storytelling and, and showing our work and where we are with our evolution of Digital First and sort of painting a picture of what it looks like. So I think when we originally rolled it out, um, and we talked about digital first and the idea that everybody's their office is going to be their main place of, lo of location. There will be conversational spaces. We actually didn't really fully tell them, like, how can you use the conversational spaces? What are they going to look like? How are we reconfiguring them? And so I've got to continue. That's what I'm going to do again tomorrow as I talk to the team is reinforce 
there is going to be an opportunity for you to see people because I think what's happening right now, you both could have experienced this, I'm sure. It's that feeling of isolation. So people are just really excited to get together and see each other. We're not taking that away. We are going to bring we had we always ran a huge kickoff at the beginning of the year and we always ran what we call camp drift but it's a time we went up to the berkshires it was a time for everyone to get together over a three-day period we're going to run events like that when we get back to normal so those things aren't going away and i need to paint a picture of what what do conversational spaces look like how are we going to use them i'm not saying that we're never going to see each other i'm just saying that your main place of work is going to be your home office so i think that's the one piece of advice that I have for myself now is ensuring that we explain what like we are going to be developing relationships and face to face contact is important. It's just going to happen in an intentional time, not five days a week. It's going to be different. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I love that. So one observation that I've had so far, you've mentioned David's name a handful of times. And I think that really speaks to the partnership that you have with David, how did y'all develop this close partnership? Um, you know, I, I keep seeing this everywhere and hearing this in conversations that HR or the people function shouldn't be seen as HR's responsibility. It should be driven from the CEO and the rest of the leadership team as well. And it feels like David embodies this. So I, I'm just curious, was was that something that drew you in to drift, seeing that externally? And then once you got in, like, what does the partnership between you look like on a week-to-week basis? Yeah, I mean, I think it's with the entire executive team. So Elias Torres is just as involved as David is, that I am with David, and the same thing with Todd Barnett and Jim Kelleher. I had actually worked really closely with Jim Kelleher at LogMeIn. So he was a CFO at LogMeIn and he was the initial connection into both David and Elias. But both founders, DE and I, like they're both underrepresented minority founders and I wanted a front row seat to how we were gonna build an an equitable organization from two URMs that I just dearly respect. And so for me, they're two very contagious people and they're both very different. Yeah. Elias and DC are both very different, but like I, I don't have to push the people agenda. I don't have to push the DE and I agenda. It's just in their bones. And so when we talk about recruiting, David doesn't, or Elias, they don't look to me that I'm not responsible for recruiting. All of our teams are responsible. I'm responsible for operationalizing it and shepherding a process, but we will be successful with the talent that our leaders recruit into the organization. And that is felt, that's the same stance that they have on DE&I. And so that, I mean, that's, both of them are the reason that I'm here as well as the rest of the executive team, people, retention, attrition, All that is part of the success of those groups. Shout as out a, to all the diverse founders and co-founders I, out there for sure. I, I was, yeah, I was going to say as a Latinxer, I definitely look up to people like David. He's definitely an inspiration. He is. Well, yeah. we don't we don't have a, a lot of time left, and I I want to I want to talk a little bit about the the war for talent and some of the the details around digital first. And so you mentioned some of the challenges on the operational side of of rolling out this change in culture, this change in in how you work. Can you tell us a little bit more? Can people, what are some of the policies that you guys have adopted? Can people literally live anywhere? Like how, how does that work? 
Yeah, I think, um, you know, first it depends on the role. So some of, as I mentioned before, some of those more junior positions like our customer advocates and our sales development reps, we want to make sure they're in office location where there's a team that they can learn from. So either San Francisco or Tampa or Boston mm -hmm. for those positions. For everything else, it again, it, it there's some considerations like time zone, right? Like if you're looking for an executive salesperson that's gonna cover wet, the West Coast territory, well, you want those individuals in Denver or San Francisco. Like there's some components to the job based on time zone of where you want those people. You know, are individuals covering EMEA? Well, they need to be in London. Right now, we are only, are, we are only allowed to hire because of the way that our entities is set up in Australia, London, or the US. So we're not we're not in every single country. So there's geographical limitations just on the way that our, our, our company is organized. And then in the US, as I mentioned, there's work efficiency considerations. So time zone considerations that are that are in effect, as well as where we have state set up in order to pay people. It's a right. small consideration, but we do, we're, we're pretty much in almost every state, but not completely in every state. And so that's one thing that's in consideration. If individuals at Drift want to move to another location, we have given them, and we're open about it. If you're interested in moving, the first person for you to talk to is your manager, then your mm -hmm. HR business partner. Let's make sure this makes sense with the work that you have on your plate. And there's there not, there not going to be any hiccups because of where you're located. That's most important. And then I think the other thing that we ensure we talk about and we're open about is market-based compensation. And I don't mean cost of living. Yeah. I mean, if you are in San Francisco and you were hired in San Francisco and you want to move to, to Florida, there could potentially be a market adjustment. Now it depends on your role. The more senior mm -hmm. you senior you are, um, and we use the Radford Technology Survey to make sure mm -hmm. we're competitive with our. But the data would say sometimes it doesn't location a location factor doesn't take into consideration the more senior you are. It depends on the right. role. But we're open to telling people before you decide you want to go. Let's make sure your HR business partner and your manager and you are having an open dialogue about how this could affect your compensation. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because I was gonna I was gonna walk on eggshells a little bit because yeah. you know comp is always a sensitive topic. <laughs> That's but fine. I'm happy to talk about it. How do you you know, my my question is like how have you addressed some of the challenges around comp? My my girlfriend is in HR and she's in talent management, works for a high tech company based in the Bay Area, and she moved to Texas. Like we we moved in together in August, and so there was a whole process around that. But it's like a one off, right? And so in the in the model that you've chosen, that's going to be. I would have to imagine that you're experiencing these situ what some kind or one offs for some companies are going to be more regular for you all. Right. And then the other, what we've told them is there is a, it's not a cost of living, but there is a market overlay that could take into consideration. But I always lend them in on my little secret, which is performance can sometimes trump that. So the performance multiplier is much more powerful than a location multiplier. And if you are an incredible talent and like overachieving on all of your goals and you want to move to a different location that you might there might not be an effect on your compensation or if you're moving to new york and we want to make sure you don't leave there could be some kind of a multiplier on top of that so it's it's performance and location are two multipliers that would go into effect depending upon your role and level in the organization 
so but yeah, we, I mean, we we have a fairly formulaic compensation structure that we're, we're open. I mean, we don't share comp bands, obviously, right now we don't. But we, at some point, we mo we will when we start to have like large groups of people that embody those those areas. Like, we're not going to disclose comp for one one controller single, yeah, or one right. single person but for you know software engineers senior software engineers aes um, our account execs enterprise account execs we're getting to a place where we're, we're getting more comfortable with actually sharing compensation we've just done a lot of work on ensuring that our compensation structure is pretty formulaic which lends itself to all the things that we're trying to do around pay equity across the organization got it and so we we've talked a little bit about the cultural impacts. We've talked about physical space. You mentioned your conversation spaces. We've talked about digital interactions and changes in communication. And we've talked about the, the blocking and tackling of HR. What other ways has this change impacted your talent strategy? You know, not necessarily in a operational way. Like, is there, is there any, is this allowing you to make you know, bolder moves? Like, can you, you, can you share with us any other changes that this is, this, that has, that is, you've had to, you know, that this is opened up from a talent perspective. Well, I think a couple things. It gives you access to talent that you wouldn't have normally seen before because they might not have entertained exploring a position with us because maybe they weren't particular, they weren't in an office location. So it's helped to get to diverse talent that way. I think the other thing is, it's also forcing us to, you know, consider our customers, right? Like when we think about reconfiguring the office, office, we think about what is it? What does a digital office look like? It's kind of you know re-recruiting your talent on a regular basis. We have this has allowed us a refresh to kind of look at like the, the employee life cycle of you know somebody's time time at drift and those phases that they have, whether or not they get promoted or they're moving locations. It's it's allowed it's allowed us to talk about this talent structure, you know, questions around compensation and questions around location-based compensation. I think it has allowed my team to be really open around our practices and what we're doing. And the beauty of that is then you've got, we've got 450 people sort of hitting our, hitting us on our practices and our policies. And does this make sense? And is this, is this what we want to do with our talent? And it's only going to make us make our practices and our philosophies around that better as a result of it. So it's, it's again, it's kind of reinforcing of transparency, but it's it's feedback. And I think people, our team has paid a lot more attention. They, they always cared about these things, but it's, it's we're re-examining it together. And that's been really powerful. Love it. Yeah, me too. So I, I know we're, we're coming up on time. So just a few more quick questions. So as a chief people officer, what are the three or four metrics that you're constantly looking at? Um, so, uh, so we, there's a couple, there's a handful of things that we look at. So we try to grow our drifters by developing a better conversation across every interaction they have with us. And we measure that by employee EMPS. So we ask, how likely are you to refer drift as a place to work every quarter? And we, there's things that we do around ensuring that that we're improving on that metric. That's like the high level metric. And then we want to ensure that our team is doing the best work of their career. And we measure that by annualized attrition. So voluntary attrition and involuntary attrition. We also are trying to create a 
place that, that fosters manager excellence. And we measure that based on these 16 manager competencies that we have and they're the root of those competencies are in our leadership principles. And so we just got through a 360 review where managers, anybody that was a manager of a person had peer feedback and upward feedback and feedback from their manager. And we measure the success of that based on those, those competencies. And then we're also, we're hiring net 200 people, which if you factor in, uh, you know, we, we try to stay under 23% annualized attrition. So if we model the factoring in attrition, we're, we're actually hiring a lot more than 200 people, but we're, we're measuring, you know, our URP percentage. So right now across the organization, we're at 13%, 13.2% underrepresented people. We'd like that to be at 16% by the end of the year. And females were at 40 2.9, I think, percent across the organization. We'd like to be at 45% by the end of the year. We also measure um, uh, referrals. So um, we're at 18% of offers made coming from referrals, and that's too low for us. We'd like to be closer to 30%. And there's a lot of things that we're doing to encourage referrals across the organization. So those are some of the high level metrics that we look at. I love how specific just a few. You are. Yeah, just yeah. A sorry, few. I can rattle. Them <laughs> off. I love it. I love it. I have yeah. I have an incredible people apps um director. She's from investment banking and this is like this gets the, the, the scorecard that I have gets refreshed every week. So I know where we are. That's so awesome. awesome. So you know with your HR practitioner hat on What's what's something that you'd love to learn from future guests that we have on? Is there anything that you're trying to like crack or maybe something that you're stuck on that you just wish like, oh, I wish somebody would have an answer for this. I know there's no set HR playbook for anything. And, you know, the best way to learn is from from the community. So just curious, what's what's one thing that that you would love to learn more about? I think for me, it's like what, you know, I, I just rattled off a whole bunch of metrics to you. What are those high level metrics with some of your other participants like what what are their north star metrics what are they how are they gauging whether or not their people function is successful you know i've got the metrics that we care about but i'd love to understand what are the top line metrics for other people leaders that you're talking to noted well this is a standard question that we ask every time so we will, we will definitely be getting more information on that so you know the the last question that we we always ask is you know over your career, I'm sure you've worked with some amazing people, or maybe if you haven't worked with them, you've been exposed to them, maybe they're in a community that you're in. I'm just curious, is there like one person that we would need to get on that you you always look to for advice and that you think would just be awesome for us to have on as a guest? Um, Mary Finch. She's the head of people at a large company on the West Coast. I'll send you her information, but I've, I've worked with Mary for a while. She's wonderful. She would be great. I also am a big fan of Joan Wallace Benjamin. So she was the CEO of Home for Little Wanderers. She was Deval Patrick's chief of staff. Um, we actually had her in. We do a mentor series at Drift where we either bring external advisors or board members. She was in. You asked me for one. I'm giving you a bunch. Molly Graham is amazing too. She was at Quip and was at Facebook for a long time. She's one of our Drift advisors. Um, incredible stories. So she's she's more on the, more like the COO type, but um, did run the people function at Facebook for a while before she went over to Quip. Thank you for awesome. all the. All the <laughs> you asked for one, I gave you. No, three. I I love it. I mean, I so Dina, this this episode 
was filled with so many nuggets of, of gold that I'm sure our audience is going to love to hear. And I think you've laid out a really, you know, clear playbook of sorts for, for other companies that might be considering going digital first. So really appreciate you for coming on. This was a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, hopefully we can stay in touch. It's Great. been amazing. Thanks so much, Thank Dina. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.